0: Welcome. This is in Africa, the podcast series investigating knowledge production of Africa. In this episode, we will discuss current efforts around increasing the representation of Africa-based authors in international journals and exploring what more can be done. As we have discussed in earlier episodes, research has shown that acceptance rates for articles by Africa-based academics in two top African studies journals, that is African Affairs and the Journal of Modern African Studies, have been declining over the past two decades. Let's hear from Dr. Ryan Briggs, assistant professor at the University of Guelph, who is one of the academics who made this finding.
1: The sheriff... Africa-based academics publishing in these journals fell from about 25 percent to 15 percent. You know, this could be happening because of declining submission rates. You know, it's possible that people just were sending their work elsewhere, or it could be declining acceptance rates. From the period 1997 until 2012, the share of all submissions to JMAS by Africa-based scholars grew from about 30 percent to about 40 percent. And so, if that result generalizes, if that's the same case for African affairs or other journals, then this is fairly strong evidence that the decline in articles being published by Africa-based scholars is not happening because these scholars are trying to publish elsewhere. It's happening because acceptance rates are really low and
0: falling. And there's another reason why publications are important. They build up an individual's profile as an expert in a subject matter and open doors to academic opportunities and promotion. And it is for this and other reasons that colleagues around the world are developing initiatives which can contribute towards reversing the decline. And that's what we'll be discussing in this episode. Before we go any further, I will ask the panelists to introduce themselves.
2: I'm Christine Feek. I run the Writing for Publication workshops for the University of Michigan uh, Presidential Scholars. And uh, my efforts are entirely focused on helping others get their research published. Hi, my name is Henrique Flores-Bos. Like
3: Chris, I'm at the University of Michigan um, where I work at the African Studies Center that houses the UM African Presidential Scholars Program, which is a residential sabbatical program for Africa-based scholars to work on research and writing for four to six months here in Ann Arbor.
1: Hi everyone, Uh, my name is Felix Ndahinda. And um, I'm a director of research policy and higher education within the Aegis Trust. So I run a research programme sponsoring Rwandan researchers precisely to support them into writing but also publishing internationally. Uh, At the same time, I'm a part-time lecturer, associate professor at the University of
4: Rwanda. Hi everybody, my name is Andy Nobes and I am a Programme Coordinator at an international development charity called Inasp, based in Oxford. And I work mostly on the AuthorAid project, which is a project supporting researchers in developing countries.
5: Um, hello, I'm Naomi Pendle. I'm a research fellow at the London School of Economics and Political Science, and I'm based at the Firoz Lalji Centre for Africa. Um, I've been working on a British Academy grant with the University of Juba to encourage um, South Sudanese writers.
0: Thank you very much to all of you and welcome to the podcast. So I'd like to start with you, Christine. As someone who has been running writing workshops for many years, can you tell us what happens at a writing workshop? We have a series
2: of six or seven workshops, meeting for two hours each time. And we begin by talking about ethics in publishing, um, also focusing on what peer review is, ethical peer review. We talk about predatory journals and uh, make sure that we all have a common understanding of the publication process. I'm also an editor of a journal in my field, so I can talk about this from both sides of the table as an author myself and as the editor. Uh, We take a data-driven approach to the writing workshops. We do a lot of linguistic analysis of published articles in the scholars' different fields. Um, Everyone is coming from a different discipline, so it's a bit of a challenge to find common material to be reading so everyone can understand. But rather than reading for content and analyzing for content and discussing matters of content, we focus on the actual writing. What does a, a journal article look like in all the disciplines represented in the workshop? And so we spend um, quite a lot of time uh, looking at things such as how an introduction is set up, how an abstract uh, should be promotional in nature, what our goals in the discussion section are. And I draw from the research that's been done in applied linguistics. So when we're, we're talking about writing, it's from an informed perspective, rather than what I might personally think about um, a matter, any matter in writing. Uh, In addition to journal article um, analyses, we spend time talking about grant proposals as well. Uh, How do we represent ourselves as credible researchers? How do we represent our work as interesting and relevant? And uh, try to convince others to to fund our work. So we we do take a, a very, very applied approach. I also then work with the scholars on their own writing. Uh, talking about matters of the audience and purpose and strategy. Uh, Are they actually connecting with their audience? Are they engaging with the audience? Is their stance towards what they're writing very clear? And are they actually um, indicating how they're making a contribution um, to the field and moving things forward?
0: So, Christine, from, from your description, I can actually see that These writing workshops are really geared towards these young academics being able to publish in international journals. If I can come to you now, Felix, how important are international journals for academic career opportunities and promotion?
1: For instance, Rwanda research is dominated by non-Rwandans and basically has implication also in what narratives are carried out there. So in that sense, it is very important that Rwandans are part of that academic discussion as well. That being said, there are four Rwandan authors, least Southern authors more generally, try also to, be, to publish their work internationally because both talk to the domestic audience, but also to talk to the global audience. A lot of scholars at least rwandan scholars we work with feel that they have an obligation for their careers for their consideration for their credibility to publish in dominant journals in their fields globally speaking in order to matter in the debates that they are wishing to contribute on
0: what about within rwanda itself in terms of maybe getting promotion at the university of rwanda Is it a requirement to publish in international journals?
1: Absolutely. There are two things, of course. The University of Rwanda itself tries to make sure that its own journals are vibrant. You have journals in quite the majority of disciplines. But at the same time, there is a broad acknowledgement that if you are talking about journals which are starting, they don't have the same level of credibility and visibility as journals that are already existing in in relevant fields. scholars, even within the University of Rwanda itself, are considered more credible when they can show that they have published in quite impactful journals in their fields. So it's very important both for visibility, for credibility, but also for promotion indeed. And that is very important because I have discussed and exchanged with quite a lot of scholars in, in, in the University of Rwanda, some of whom who have actually managed to to publish or to send their works in predatory journals because simply they didn't have enough information about uh, what is a credible journal and what is not. So some have, have even paid to, to get published in in those uh, for pay kind of journals which are not very much uh, uh, credible.
0: Yes these um, predatory journals are quite um, a big issue at the moment. Um, journals that ask you to pay but and involve no peer review. What is being done to educate young Rwandan scholars about the dangers of these journals?
1: So I have been working with a team of international advisors who advise Rwandan scholars. So what the agency does basically gives money to authors to, to buy their time off their usual work. And they have an obligation at the end of the year to publish a very good paper in a good journal with advice from an established scholar. What we do basically, next to the work of uh, accompanying the selected authors, who can only be of a limited number, we organise publicly open, available workshops for for, for the general public on all levels of producing a paper, from the time of conceiving a paper, methodologies, going to the field, uh, dissemination, publication and so forth. So we wanna organise a series of seminars open for the public especially which are very quite popular, attended by quite a large number of rather academics and practitioners for that matter. And those seminars are intended precisely to, to, to inform people about all of these issues.
0: And in your view, to what extent is international journal publication both a good and bad way of gauging the quality of candidates and colleagues for appointments and promotion?
1: I know that we have to fit in certain given kind of templates if we have to publish in those international journals. Just uh, one simple example, the last time we ha- we organized a workshop, we took our authors to London, and one of the, our authors is writing about IPF ideologies through th- songs. And In the middle of the presentation, she would sing in our native Kinyarwanda some of the lyrics in order to show the poetry around that. Something, of course, which always gets lost in translation. So the, the form, the way you do things, the way you translate things, the way you carry out your voice, is less free when you have to comply with, let's say, the requirements of international journals. But at the same time, of course, uh, you have to play by the role of the dominant game if you have to survive in the, in the field where you operate. So in that sense, it's both constraints, but also I see in the sense of opportunity because you can't uh, simply rebel against something and expect it to be, to have the same impact as the thing that is already established.
0: Thank you. So um, I'll come to you, Naomi, now. Within the South Sudanese context, how important are international journals for academic career opportunities and promotion?
5: So, South Sudan, I guess, is an extreme example of kind of underinvestment in higher education. You've had decades of wartime displacement, where the universities themselves were displaced um, from Southern Sudan to Northern Sudan, and so there were language issues in terms of um, they operated in Arabic, and and then. Um, in 2005, after the peace, they moved back to the South, but then they were operating in English. You've had those language shifts. You've got the current kind of ongoing war and um, the kind of inflation, and therefore, consequence, consequently, very low salaries. So even now, kind of lecturers at the University of juba can only afford to eat one meal a day. So it's really kind of, um, they're struggling to kind of an extreme extent. Um And therefore, in many ways, teaching has taken priority because teaching can bring in more funds and more immediate funds which the university and and the lecturers and academics can survive on. And so research has really been undermined, I I think, in that process. Um, There are currently some attempts at the University of Juba to correct that. There's um, recently been a new... um, A kind of office created for to focus on research and publication and they are developing a strategy Um, but I think that kind of long-term lack of investment and lack of focus on research means that there's just a lack of confidence among many of the senior academic staff let alone the junior academic staff so many even in the most senior positions have not published in peer review kind of international academic journals. Um, there is a lot of publishing in predatory journals when people feel an, a, a pressure to publish, but even that hasn't been necessary, and people are still promoted even without publication in journals they've paid to publish in. So, in that way, um, the system is kind of, I think, has a lack of confidence in its ability to publish, um, and is that kind of really extreme example of where promotion can happen without any publication at all, and definitely not. Um, Publishing in international journals for many people is just a kind of undreamed of aspiration um, that they don't believe they can reach.
0: So how do publications in South Sudanese or Pan-African journals compare?
5: Um, so the University of Juba did have a few journals and there's conversations about restarting them. And they've been actually very important in terms of even kind of political debates in South Sudan. So I, I guess it's more of a focus and there's more of an appetite. And they have, in, in that way, they've had potentially incredible policy impact because they can really focus on um, questions that are kind of closer to home. And I think as... When they are owned by the university, people, academics there do believe they can publish in them and that's somehow more realistic. Um, but there have been attempts to kind of increase those standards and some international people have tried, like, kind of been part of those um, journals and contributed to them um, and kind of peer review has been introduced. So I think when they are there, they can be a great kind of step to publishing in journals to get over that kind of first hurdle of believing that you can do it. But at the moment, those journals aren't even there in, in South Sudan. So I think that's something that hopefully will return in, in coming years. So I'd like to come to Andy now. So can you please tell us
0: about the work AuthorAid is doing? Because I know you're working in many countries around the world.
4: So the AuthorAid project has been going for about 10 years now. It's a, a project of INASP, which is a, an international development charity based in Oxford. And so we've been we've been working in Africa, Asia and Latin America. And over the last five years, we have been Working with specifically with ten institutions to run writing workshops, research writing workshops, and to embed those skills into the curriculum in those in those institutions. Um, so this is in, in Ghana, Tanzania, Sri Lanka, and Vietnam, where where we've done that quite specific work. And these are research writing and proposal writing workshops. There they cover the sorts of things that have been discussed already. So what does a what does a research paper look like? Um, How do you write in academic English? How do you get through the publishing process and and submit to a journal? How do you get through peer review? And inevitably things like predatory journals and how to identify a credible journal come up in that training. So these these face-to-face workshops have been part of the work that we've been doing with institutions in those four countries. And as part of that work, we've developed a research writing toolkit um, and a trainer trainer toolkit that can be used by by institutions to to train their researchers, and those are now our free resources on our website. Um, most recently, we've um, also started to move into online learning, and we've developed some online courses in research writing and proposal writing. That have developed that training content for for online courses, and that's turned into um, these larger online courses or MOOCs massive online open courses that can train thousands of researchers at a time. And over the last two years or rather three years, we've trained about 10,000 researchers with um, approximately a 50 percent completion rate. So that's re- early career researchers mostly coming from from all over the world to do the course, um, as, apart from the the face to face and the, the online uh, courses. There's also some of those uh, institutions that we've worked with have also develop their own online courses to go with their face-to-face training so they have a, a type, kind of a blended approach where they have an online course and they have face-to-face training workshops based around that course. And on top of this we've, we also have a website where we have about um, 18,000 researchers signed up on the website to collaborate and mentor each other. And So we have a free on- online mentoring system and lots of free resources. So. As part of this work that we've been doing over the last decade, inevitably there are problems with writing in English, particularly in academic English, but also sometimes writing in um, in simple, easy to read English as well. There are problems with citation practices and researchers understanding how what plagiarism is and how um, good citation is done. There are lots of challenges around authorship and the main, the main one of the main problems that we that we identified is getting through the publishing process. So understanding uh, what you do once you've written your work, how do you submit it to a journal? What kind of format does it need to be in? And how do you identify um, a credible local or international journal? There's also a problem that we've identified in quite a few of our workshops uh, recently, where a lot of the the potential authors that we speak to in Africa and Asia. Um, find that the journals that they're trying to submit to uh, display uh, a kind of a bias against their research because of where they're from, either either um, because they see that they're from a developing country or because they consider that their research is not um, internationally significant or, or um, of global relevance. But also um, apart from these challenges around research writing and research communication, lots of other challenges come up which Uh, which we're not always able to to address such as um, problems with funding, um, equipment, um, challenges around understanding qualitative and quantitative data analysis and also uh, literature review, accessing research and how to search for academic papers.
0: Thank you. And so what has been the impact of this project?
4: Our work was based over several years where we, we were doing um, several workshops, but also building the long-term capacity of those institutions um, and we've had success with Teferi, um, a fisheries institute in Tanzania, where we would um, try to embed those skills in the curriculum, um, helping them to to build their own online course, which goes alongside the face-to-face workshop because they were often having to train participants at other research centres around the country and it's expensive to bring those participants together in one place. So it really helped them to have that, also have that online component where they're able to introduce everybody to the basics and then spend more time in the actual workshop on the writing activities and then we'd also build into that some uh, a trainer-trainer components um, on some of those workshops so that they're that's building some of those long term training skills after we, um, we our project had finished. And also one other success factor that we found um, at the institutions we worked in, particularly at the uh, University of Colombo in Sri Lanka, they, they started to build their own mentoring system to support those participants of the training. So it wasn't just the work the workshop activities that that they would sort of bring in some of their more experienced researchers to mentor each other and um, they also developed writing clubs and journal clubs that would build on that learning whereby participants um, studied papers together after the workshop in their own time. So those, those were some of the, the factors that, that, that we saw in a, in successful writing workshops.
0: Naomi, you've also recently organised a writing workshop for South Sudanese scholars. How did you get the funding for it?
5: So again, our workshop was funded by the British Academy. But actually, I think in our case, the British Academy um, was willing to take a bit of a risk. And I'm very glad they did because we asked for a kind of slightly longer workshop. We had a 10-day workshop um in July and then we also had a, a shorter follow-up workshop this December just a week ago and I think um, the reason for that kind of the longer workshop was partly um, to respond to South Sudanese requests for their um, the needs that they needed to be met in order to publish. So they had all of common problems such as kind of understanding the basic peer review process and writing in academic English, and many of the other things that have been discussed. And we, um, journal editors did join us, and we talked through some of those. We talked a bit about grant writing. We talked about predatory journals. But we were also aware that for many um, academics in south sudan they struggled to get power they struggled to, struggled to get basic internet they struggled to therefore access kind of academic journals um, and online resources so by being together for 10 days um, in a place with good power good internet um, lse allowed them to have access to the lse library and therefore they could access that electronically and um, we were able to kind of sit together and work through their material but they were also able just to sit and write and I think that was quite productive for them. And there was a sense in every evening we would gather and people would talk about what they'd done and kind of present some of their work. But a lot of the time in the writing workshop was just spent sitting and writing. And it was a very different experience, a bit of a, um, and I'm glad the British Academy took a kind of gamble on that. But I, it seemed to be very productive in that much writing was done. And I think a lot of people are aspiring now to submit um well, to submit to peer review journals or at least to kind of publish their work um, in some kind of written form um, that can be shared kind of internationally and academically. Um, I think one thing that is a struggle though with funding is that kind of appreciation of how long these things take, even for kind of established academics in very strong... um, European or US institutions it takes a long time to produce a good peer-reviewed journal article and so when they're struggling through these difficult situations where they don't have easy access to literature they don't have access so easily to um, electricity and internet access and when they really also kind of need input right from the beginning of their research design to that kind of final moment of um, submitting to publication that process is a very long process so I think that is the only challenge is how do you kind of design a funding system that kind of takes the risk on the kind of long, um, slow process that writing and research can be. So do you think fellowships and writing workshops are becoming more or less popular
0: among funders?
5: So I think, I mean, the British Academy is obviously, um, seems to be very willing to fund writing workshops, and that's great. I mean, in South Sudan, a lot of funding generally comes from um, different donors from the humanitarian sector, from more kind of classic um, aid donors in Africa. And I think there, there possibly is a lack of um interest in writing workshops which is a massive shame because as has been said already the debates about South Sudan and therefore kind of the agenda and understanding of South Sudan is dominated by international academics international academics are even funded by some of these donors to try and understand South Sudan whereas actually you've got many South Sudanese and South Sudanese academics in South Sudan who also know an incredible amount but just don't Quite know how to get over that hurdle of publishing so it would be great if there were more funders um are kind of different kinds of funders as well who kind of understood the potential of that knowledge if it could be kind of written down and shared internationally
0: um, christine i know you've been um leading writing workshops for many years have you had to find funding to host these workshops or has it been provided by the university of michigan
2: I'm very fortunate the University of Michigan has provided all funding and support all the work that I do from running the workshops to reviewing the manuscripts and then meeting individually with the scholars as well.
0: And what is the key factor in determining whether a writing workshop will help the writers succeed? So in my opinion, the, everybody needs
2: to know what they need and see that our workshop is actually addressing that very need. So the needs vary quite a bit, from knowing um, just the basics of publishing and the strategies to get through the publishing process, to even understanding what academic style is. Um, and I think one of the central problems is also making sure that that everybody realizes that academic English is no one's first language. We all need to acquire this new language in order to
0: be able to publish. And in addition to these writing workshops, um, the University of Michigan also has its African Presidential Scholars Program. And Enrique, you have been studying the effectiveness of this program. What have you found?
3: Uh, Let me also add that the writing workshops that uh, Chris is doing, they're part of the UM African Presidential Scholars Program. So this is a program for early career scholars based at African universities that come to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor for four to six months to really have this reprieve from teaching, as one of my fellow participants was talking about, and really focus on their research and writing um, as kind of a sabbatical. And then the writing workshop is an integral part of that and has been uh, over the years. So one of the things Chris said is we're trying to always evaluate our program to understand what works well so we can do more of that and and also understand what doesn't work and how we can fix that. Um, So that's where kind of some of the research comes in is the exit servers and the evaluations and consistently we have found that the writing workshop, the access to uh, library resources and being paired with a University of Michigan faculty member in the same subject area are really appreciated factors Uh, of the umaps program so we've kind of made those um, more prominent factors over the years and the other kind of research i've been doing is really tracking the publication careers of umaps alumni um, after they have spent time here in ann arbor and um, this program started 10 years ago so we now have 135 alumni the last a cohort of alumni um, left Ann Arbor uh, of February 2018, and just some numbers are that of those 135 people, uh, 79 have already published one or more articles after their time here um, at U of M, which is um, you know almost 60%, and that's a really good number because there's also the publication lag time, so some cohorts are just really kind of almost just back Um, and between those 79 people they've um, produced more than 250 peer-reviewed articles i'm only looking at those um, and i know that people also produce reports and uh, other kind of writing but i'm looking at the peer-reviewed articles so um, that gives me a sense um, that a lot of people are publishing uh, especially people who have left you know two or three years ago kind of really finding their strides what is interesting is um, kind of the mix um, of journals where publish people publish in um, especially for those who have a you know a robust number of publications like eight or ten or something um, it's really actually a mix of international journals and Africa-based journals. And that actually is really both interesting to see and I think also gratifying because there are those two legitimate uh, outputs for um, Africa-generated knowledge, I think. Um, In terms of um, who people publish with, it's interesting that you see a good number of publications where somebody publishes with the person they were paired at at Michigan here, Um, but that really depends on the discipline. In the humanities, where single author publications are still the norm, you don't really see people publishing with their um, pairing here at Michigan um, in the same way you see for the social sciences.
0: Another option for young academics trying to get published is actually co-authoring. So Naomi, I'd like to ask you, to what extent is that a good opportunity? for getting published
5: so in south sudan it's been really important in terms of south sudanese scholars becoming established in the kind of international academic scene so um thinking of one of the most famous south Sudanese scholars jock Jok, who's an anthropologist and has um focused on various questions through his career but he really started by kind of co-authoring with a very established um, american anthropologist sharon hutchinson who um, co authored with him, and I think that kind of gave him the international visibility, but also the kind of mentoring experience. So, I mean, from my own personal experience of co authoring, it can really be that um, kind of great collaborative relationship where you're both bringing empirical material, but you're also having that opportunity of mentorship, so that really it is kind of like a year long. Um, process where you learn on kind of almost a daily basis about how an article is written and you learn about that kind of emotional process as well as you both together. So It's great to hear about some of the positives of
0: co-authoring but Christine um, are there any potential dangers that young scholars should be aware of when it comes to co-authorship?
2: Certainly, the less experienced scholar can lose the opportunity to influence the publication in the way that he or she would like that publication to go. Um, so matters of uh, you know power and authority here, um, deferring too much to the more experienced scholar, um, you know, not feeling that you can push back um, when you have a very accomplished author that you're you're co-authoring with. Um, And and I think um, those are real possible problems that can arise, but in the end, I think that the affordances of co-authoring with somebody far outweigh some of these negatives. because I think this is, it's, a, it's an apprenticeship model, and I think many of us learn quite well through an apprenticeship model, as long as we feel, as the less experienced scholar, that we, we have a voice also in how that publication is, is shaped. So my suggestion to my scholars always is to talk about the expectations of co-authorship before entering into it, never make assumptions as to order of names, as to the main message of the publication, and to always, you know, make sure that it's clear what what to expect in the end, so that there are no surprises along the way.
0: Thank you very much. So now I'm going to put everyone on the spot to conclude. I'd like everybody to tell me in thirty seconds or less what they would like to see, what further developments or initiatives or programs they would like to see be developed to, um, so that African academics can even have more opportunities in publishing internationally. So I will start with Christine. Yeah, one, one of the, the things
2: that I, I personally would like to be able to integrate into our writing workshop is to bring in a panel of editors of international journals that exist here uh, at the University of Michigan and have them come in and actually talk from the editor's perspective uh, what the ropes are that they need to learn in order to be able to publish in those journals. So the scholars would actually have an opportunity to directly talk with an editor of an of a journal um, because these editors have a wealth of knowledge that they apply when they are evaluating scholarship, but much of that is not accessible to young scholars who are just new to the publication process.
0: Thank you very much.
3: Enrique? I come back to this idea that we've been toying with, really only recently, is um, to have a writing workshop training component as part of the writing workshop, um, so it will become easier to institutionalize the actual running of the writing workshop
1: um, at your home institution.
0: Felix, 30 seconds or less.
1: authorship I think, is key in. Particularly north south relationship because those are still there when you're talking about publishing in international journals, international journals, They're also talking about really pretty much novel-based journals. So co-authorship is very important as a matter of social responsibility as well as giving back and uh, training and mentoring through practice.
0: Thank you. Andy?
4: One one area that I'd like to see addressed more is the this whole idea of the of information inequality. So a lot of the researchers that I speak to in Africa um, just aren't aware of, of certain uh, information databases and resources that are out there, mostly for free on, on the internet or various places that they don't have access to because they don't have this access to the same networks, the same opportunities to travel that many of us do. And so um, what what I'd be most interested to see is how we can empower young African researchers with skills in digital search skills, academic search skills, digital literacy and and critical thinking skills to to enable them to navigate the the internet, the world of digital publishing.
0: Sounds
5: good. Naomi? Um, So I think one area that I've really been thinking about is how to encourage young African scholars to focus on research with writing in mind. So how can people design their research and carry out their research knowing um, that they intend to publish it and therefore to really think about the literature from those very early stages, to think about the design from those very early stages. So I think the temptation is to um, kind of meet these African scholars at the end of the process when they're trying to put their ideas on paper. But actually, it's often many stages back from that where the whole process needs to start.
0: Thank you so much. It's been great to hear about the fantastic programs you're running and also your ideas for the future. And I'd like to say thank you to all of you for taking part in this episode of Sight in Africa Christine Fick, Henrique Floresbosch, Felix Indahinda, and Dinobes Naomi Pendle. Thank you so much. Site in Africa was funded by the LSE Knowledge Exchange and Impact Fund the LSE Department of International Development and the Review of African Political Economy Journal.